Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Upside Down, a verse-by-verse study of First and Second Thessalonians. Here's Pastor Nick. Go ahead and take your seats. Welcome once again to Whitefields Community Church. We're so glad that you're with us this morning to worship and study God's Word. Would you all please open with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So that's Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians chapter 3. It's in your New Testament, kind of towards the middle of the New Testament, middle back of the New Testament. Feel free to use that table of contents that God has given you to help you navigate your Bible. If you have any trouble finding that, if you use your, your phone to read the Bible, we encourage you, use the Version Bible app. Because if you go in there, you got all the notes that are on the screen and some more stuff that you can uh, use to interact with the sermon and really go deeper with what we're studying today. So we're in 2 Thessalonians. We've been in a series called Upside Down in which we're studying through Paul's first and second letters to Thessalonians. And after several weeks of being in these two letters, we have now come, this will be our last study in this. And as you saw in the video, next week we're starting a new study in the first and second letters of Peter. So you're not going to want to miss that. But this morning, 2 Thessalonians, and let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, Lord, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it cuts right to the heart of us, Lord, to the, ma- to the heart of the matter when it comes to us. Lord, thank you that uh, through your word, you open us up, you diagnose us, and you do surgery on us to make us well. And Lord, we pray that you would do that this morning, that your word would speak into our lives, Lord, and that we would be receptive to it. And so, Lord, we we pray that as we come to your word today, Lord, that we would hear it as your word from God to us, but Lord, let us also receive it and put these things into practice. Let us respond to your word appropriately, we pray, as we hear it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the title of today's message is Mind Your Business. So here's what I need you to do. Just turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them out loud, go for it. We're going to say, mind your business, okay? Go for it. Mind your business. All right, now... I want you to say it one more time, but this time I want you to say it again out loud, but I want you to say it to yourself. Mind your business. You're never as sassy when you say it to yourself, right? Like the first time you're like, mind your business, and then you're like, all right, mind my business, okay. Okay, so um, did you know I had a coin collection when I was a kid? My dad worked for many years at the Denver Mint, so yes, he made money for a living, right? And so uh, some of you got that, all right. So, um, you know, I had a coin collection, so I learned a lot about coins. Interesting thing about coins, maybe you didn't know this. The very first penny in the United States history was only in circulation for one year, the very first one, and it was designed by Benjamin Franklin. And it had um, the words on it, mind your business. It was on the very first penny, mind your business. And it also had on it a picture of the sun and a sundial, and it had the Latin word fugio, which means I fly, I fly. And the idea behind this penny was just this. He was saying, time flies right? Daylight is fleeting. Therefore, mind your business. Mind your business. That phrase, by the way, mind your business. Did you know that Benjamin Franklin, you know where he got that phrase? He got it from the Bible. He got it from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, where Paul told the Thessalonians, 
Mind your business. Mind your business. Now, why did Paul say that to the Thessalonians? Were they particularly nosy people? Were they, you know, butting into other people's business and meddling in Paul's personal affairs? Well, no. See, this is one of those cases in which the same English word or the same English phrase can have different meanings at different times in different countries, like in Britain and the United States, right? So we have a lot of British friends. And what you realize after, you know, talking to them is that sometimes you'll be saying words that you both understand but they mean different things to each of you. For example, did you know that in Britain, a lot of men carry purses? They just do. They, all these dudes carry in purses. Why? Because, well, what we call a purse, they call a handbag, and what we call a wallet, many of them call a purse. So you got all these men in Britain carrying around purses. So uh, the, other, the other one, right, there's another example, is that uh, to be mad in America means that you're angry, right? I'm so mad. But in England, to be mad means that you're crazy. And so if you tell your British friends, I'm so mad, just be careful because they might agree with you, right? Because they might think that you are admitting that you are crazy. So all over England, here's another example. They have these signs that say, mind your head, mind your step. And of course, on the London Underground, the tube, there's the announcer who says famously, mind the gap. Okay, why? Because that word mind, to mind something in Britain, uh, means to pay careful attention to something. And so when Paul tells us, mind your business, when Benjamin Franklin put mind your business on the very first penny, what they were saying was not butt out of other people's business. What they were saying was pay careful attention, diligent attention to your business, whatever your business might be. And the overarching theme of this final chapter of 2 Thessalonians is business, your business, God's business, other people's business. We're all up in that business. And so what Paul has to say about work here in the final chapter of 2 Thessalonians can be summed up in two headings. And that's how we're going to look at this. Two headings. Number one, Jesus made your business his business. That's the essence of the gospel. Jesus made your business his business. Therefore, you and I ought to make God's business our business and we should mind our business. Okay, so in addition to, just some setting for you, okay? In addition to persecution, in addition to false teaching, which we've seen in the first two chapters, that these were the problems that Thessalonian Christians were dealing with, persecution, false teaching. There was a third problem that they were dealing with as well, and that was there were some troublesome people in the church, some people who were not uh, doing what they ought to have been doing, and Paul refers to them with this word. He calls them unruly people. Right? They're like Christians gone wild, right? Like unruly people. And you got to think, wow, that sounds pretty extreme. Like they're unruly. Like what are they doing? Like they sound like college kids on spring break in Florida, right? Like they're unruly. They're doing something they shouldn't do. Well, what was their particular form of unruliness? We're going to see that here in this chapter. Here was their unruliness. Many of them were unwilling to work. They were unwilling to work and they were mooching, they were freeloading off of the generosity of other people in the church. And what made this situation even more confusing and difficult for the Thessalonians, they, they weren't sure what to do. They reached out to Paul and asked him for some help with this. The reason it was so confusing is because one of the reasons that these people gave for not wanting to go to work was because they considered themselves basically too spiritual for work too spiritual for work. They, they thought, hey, you know, we're so spiritual. We're seeking God so much that uh, we don't need to go to work. We shouldn't go to work. We don't have to go to work because we're so spiritual and we're seeking God so much. Here in 
chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, Paul dedicates this entire chapter to talking about work. Think about that. That's one-third of this entire level, a letter he dedicates to talking about the issues of work and how work relates to spirituality. Now, I got to tell you guys, this is an extremely relevant issue for every single one of us in here today. Work and spirituality. How does our work relate to our relationship with God? What is there, you know, how do we understand spirituality and work and how do the two go together? You know why this is so relevant for each and every one of us in here today? Well, according to a Gettysburg College study taken just a few years ago, the average American will spend 90,000 hours at work, which is about one-third of your life. You're going to spend one-third of your life on average at work. Now, in contrast to that, you're going to spend about 180th of your life with your friends, okay? So 180th of your life will be spent hanging out with your friends compared to one-third of your life will be spent at work. And some of you are like, well, now I understand why the Thessalonians quit their jobs and didn't want to work. Maybe I'm going to do the same. Like maybe being unruly is a super good idea, right? Well, before you go and quit your job, let's talk about this. Um, If you spend one-third of your life at work, well, that means it works, obviously, a pretty big part of your life. It matters. So what does God have to say about your work? And how does your work relate to your relationship with God? Paul begins this letter, uh, begins this chapter, interestingly, by asking the Thessalonians to pray for his work, right? So this is the whole theme. He says, I want you to pray for my work. That's how I want to start. He says in verses 1 and 2, Finally, brothers, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may, we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. So Paul's first and primary prayer request is this, that the word of God would speed ahead, right? that it would go forth unhindered, that it would spread to many people and that it would be received by the people that it came to. See, Paul understood that what people need more than anything is not to change their behavior. What people need more than anything is they need a new heart. They need to become new people. See, Paul understood that there's a dynamic, a spiritual dynamic to the Word of God, a spiritual power. It has the ability to impact our hearts and our minds. As the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, he says, the word of God is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. He said it cuts right to the heart of the matter. It opens us up like a surgeon's knife and reveals what is going on inside of us and God uses his word to do surgery on us. See, that's why here at Whitefields, you know this, this is what we're about. We're Bible people. That's just who we are as a church. We believe in the power of God's word. We, We want... Uh, to do everything we can to encourage people, you, others outside these walls, to read God's word, to get it into your lives, to understand it so that our lives can be changed through it. The second thing that Paul asked them to pray for in regard to his work is that he would be delivered from evil and wicked men. See, there were people who wanted to hinder the work of the gospel or or the, the furtherance of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but this always strikes me as interesting. See, we read the New Testament, we read the book of Acts, and we read that, you know, the the missionaries would come into some town, and there would be like a riot, and like people would try to kill them and murder them and stone them to death, and people would be angry, and there was so much opposition. 
And I just find that so fascinating because think about it. Think about it. Like, what were these people going around preaching? Like, why were people so adamantly opposed to this message that Christians were spreading? What was the message itself, right? Like, just imagine some people come to your house and they say to you, I've got good news. God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And your response is... You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. I need to kill this person, right? Like I need to rid the earth of the scourge of these people who are telling me that God loves me and has a plan for my life. Like I need to start a riot. I need to get this person arrested. We need to rid the earth of this terrible teaching. That's kind of a strange reaction, don't you think, to the message that God loves you and that he has a plan for your life, right? To the message of love and hope and salvation. You're like, God loves you. There's hope. There's salvation in Jesus. It's a free gift. And you're like, I hate this. Why would anyone respond that way? I mean, really, this is the message. God wants to know you. He loves you. And he has acted in Jesus, in history, to remove every barrier that stood between you and him. He's offered you eternal life. He offers you forgiveness of sins, redemption, a new start at life. And this precious gift, this priceless gift is offered to you as a gift, right, for free. And yet, who in their right mind would say no to that? Who in their right mind would say, yeah, uh, no thanks? And yet people do. They do that all the time. Not only do people say no, but sometimes, like we see here, they actually oppose this message. Now, why is that? Well, we can look at Paul the Apostle uh, for some insight into his own life and why he did that in his own life. See, Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about the things which, which, caused, which he was worried about when it came to being a Christian. And what it really comes down to with Paul, he says this. He was worried that if he gave his life to Jesus, if he really put his faith and trust and hope in Jesus and, and began following him as a disciple, that he would lose things. There were things from his life that he would have to give up. In his case, it was the uh, prestige that he had in his position as a Jewish leader. But, you know, for many people, this is what holds them back. They're afraid, if I give my life over to God, he is going to take things away from me. I'm going to have to give things up. And therefore, there's this hindrance or sometimes even, you know, a violent pushback against the gospel. And, And again, why? Because people are afraid of what they will have to lose if they give their life over to God. But see, here's what happened with Paul. When he finally surrendered his life to God, he realized that what he gained was so much greater than anything he ever gave up, to the point where it was laughable to even compare the two, right? He says at one point, I realized that everything that I was holding on to that was keeping me from giving my life to Jesus, it was all rubbish, garbage, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. See, the reason why many people resist or reject the gospel, again, is because there is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus. Do you know that? I mean, I have to be upfront with you. There's a cost. To embrace Jesus means giving up your other gods, the other things that you live for and worship. It means admitting that there are areas of your life where you have fallen short and you need a Savior. It means surrendering control over your life over to God. 
Now, committing your life to following Jesus will absolutely turn your world upside down. That's the name of our series, and for good reason, because that was what the Thessalonian people in, in the city were afraid that Christianity would do, and they were right. When the gospel comes into your life, that's what it does. It turns your world upside down. It upends your life. But as Paul the Apostle found, and as so many of us have learned, haven't we, that that is the best thing that can actually ever happen to you. It's not something to fear. It's something to embrace uh, happily. See, some people have this idea that Christianity is primarily about what you have to give up to follow God. Friends, I just want to tell you that's not the case. Christianity isn't primarily about what you have to give up for God. Christianity is about what you gain in Jesus. See, also, it wouldn't be completely honest of me to not tell you this, that God does want to take some things away from you. You know that? There are things that God wants to take away from you. Absolutely. You know what they are? He wants to take away your sense of hopelessness. He wants to take away your sense of aloneness. He wants to take away that sense of shame. He wants to take away from you the feeling that your life has no meaning and purpose and value. He wants to take away those things in your life that are dragging you down and ultimately not helping you, even in long-term destroying you. See, maybe there are some of you today, and there is an area of your life, and of course you know what that is. I don't, but you do. There's an area of your life where you are holding back, right? Where, where you're not surrendering fully your life, full control of your life over to God. Maybe you're afraid of what you'll have to give up, what you might lose if you fully surrender your life over to him and let him be your Lord. And I just want to encourage you that like Paul the Apostle, the same is true for us. The things that we are so afraid of losing or giving up if we wholeheartedly follow Jesus, they are nothing compared to what we stand to gain in him. And so I want to encourage you today, surrender your whole life over to him. Don't hold anything back. You will not regret it. So Paul begins this section about work and minding your business by asking them to pray for his work. But then, starting in verse 3, Paul shifts and he begins giving some words of encouragement. Here's what he says. He says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So notice Paul transitions here from talking about his work to talking about God's work in our lives. And he continues that for the next two verses. He says in verse 4, We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things we command. And he says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. So everything he's saying here is about God's work in our lives. He ended verse 2 by saying this, Not all people have faith. And then right there in verse 3, he says, not all people have faith, but what's the contrast? Look at verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. So let me just read those verses to you together so you get that juxtaposition, that contrast there. He says, pray that we might be delivered from evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will guard you against the evil one. You see that juxtaposition? You see the contrast there between faith and faithfulness, between evil and evil on the other hand, right? So in other words, people are unfaithful, but God is faithful. People lack faith, but God is faithful. There is evil in this world, and yet God, he says, will protect you from the evil one. There's evil in this world, and you know what's even worse than that? It's not just that evil is somewhere out there. It's not just that evil exists in some particularly bad people somewhere out there. Here's the deal with evil that the Bible tells us, that evil is even bound up 
within our very hearts. Each and every one of us, right? There's, there, it's bound up within us. In other words, we need to be saved not just from the evil outside in the world. We need to be saved from the evil that is bound up in our hearts. See, by, by the faithful work of God is that he is faithful even when we are faithless. And Jesus delivers us from evil, even the evil that is bound up in our own hearts. How? By redeeming us, by regenerating us, by making us new people with new hearts. See, Jesus died to deliver us from evil by decisively defeating the evil one through his life, death, and resurrection. And because of what he did, we can be delivered, we can have hope. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it tells us this about God. It says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. See, this is all about who God is and what God does in our lives. So continuing on this theme of work, notice this. Paul started out by asking for prayer for his work. Then he transitions into talking about God's work in our lives, that God is faithful keeps his promises, that God's work is to establish you. You know, some of the pictures the Bible uses for that is like a tree that has roots that go down deep into the ground. You can think about when the wind picks up, those trees don't blow over, they stand strong. Why? Because they have roots, they're established. You know, another picture the Bible uses is that of a building that has a foundation. And when the winds come and the waves crash against the house, the building, if it has a strong foundation, can stand. And so that's what God does in his life by his spirit is he establishes you. He does that through his word, establishing you in love and faith so that you're prepared when the storms and trials of this life come that you'll be able to stand in the midst of them because you have a foundation, you have roots. Another work in, in our lives in verse four, it says that he enables you to do that which he has called you to do. I love this. See, here's the thing. Most of us already know what we ought to do, right? You don't need a lot of instruction about what you need to do. Most of us have a list of things that we know that we should do, and yet what we struggle with is actually doing those things. And I love this, that when God comes, he says, not only am I going to give you instruction, but I am going to enable you to do the things that I am calling you and asking you to do. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. He says this, therefore, my beloved, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you catch that? He says, you work out your salvation, but it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. In other words, God's work in our lives is that he works in us both the will, so the desire, and the ability to do what he has called us to do. Another work of God, verse 5, is this, that God directs our hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Jesus told us that would be the work of the Holy Spirit. He would direct our hearts back to God, back to God. So here's what all this means under our first heading. Jesus made your business his business. Jesus made your business his business. That's the essence of the gospel. That in spite of the fact that we were once people who didn't have faith, despite the fact that evil was bound up within our hearts, even though we were estranged from God, God didn't just throw up his hands and say, well, that's your problem, not my problem. He could have easily just washed his hands and said, hey, you guys got yourself into this mess. It's your mess to fix. Leave me out of this. And he would have had every right to do so, but he didn't do that. See, that's the good news 
of the gospel, that God made your business his business. He got involved. He intervened on your behalf because he loves you. And he is continually working in your life for good. God made your business his business. That's the heart of the gospel. He acted on your behalf because he loves you. That's why, because he loves you. And he continues to work in your life. Why? Because he loves you. Now, what does that mean for our lives practically? How then should we live because of the gospel? Well, the answer to that is this. As we've been saying, Jesus made your business his business. Therefore, make make God's business your business. Make God's business your business. Let me put it this way. The essence of the Christian life is working out what God has worked in you by what Jesus did for you. Working out what God has worked in you by what Jesus did for you. I want to remind you of this verse, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says this, Therefore, my beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Such an interesting verse, right? Because you're like, wait, how's this work again? Check it out. He says, God works in and we work out. Right? God works in and we work out. So God puts inside of you. He does his work inside of you. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.